Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast here with a wrap on Tuesday night's primaries in California, New Jersey, and four other states. Hillary Clinton cemented her spot as the presumptive nominee of the Democratic Party. Thanks to you, we've reached a milestone. The first time, the first time in our nation's history that a woman will be a major party's nominee. Donald Trump, for his part, gave his own speech, striking a new tone. We'll talk about that. And Bernie Sanders, as of this hour around midnight, is still hoping for a win in California, but his path forward remains unclear. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the campaign. I'm Asma Khalid. I cover demographics and the campaign. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. So, hey, guys, Domenico, it's been like... 23 hours since we sat here doing a late night podcast. Nice to see you again. You sat here. I was in the comfort of my home, remember? Must be nice. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't that comfortable with the headset on and, you know, just kind of like hanging in my basement, but it's all good. But here we are. We're doing it. (laughs) It's around midnight. We don't have all the results in, but here's what we know right now. Hillary Clinton is projected to win New Jersey, New Mexico, and South Dakota. Bernie Sanders projected to win North Dakota, and as of right now, Hillary Clinton is ahead in Montana and California. So let's talk a bit about Hillary Clinton's big speech tonight and her big moment tonight. Asma, uh, what were some of the big takeaways from, from Clinton's speech for you? I think there were a couple of big takeaways. One is just how different the tone felt than Donald Trump, who spoke earlier in the evening. You know, Hillary Clinton talked about building bridges, not walls. And she sort of made a direct hit at a common line that Donald Trump likes to use throughout his speeches, which is make America great again. When he says, let's make America great again, that is code for let's take America backwards. And the other big thing to me that was interesting was this sort of um, very explicit uh, appeal to Senator Sanders, congratulating him on his campaign, and I think sort of trying to, in some ways, take some early initial steps towards trying to unify the party behind her. And let there be no mistake, Senator Sanders, his campaign, and the vigorous debate that we've had about how to raise incomes, reduce inequality, increase upward mobility have been very good for the Democratic Party and for America. So, so, so Hillary Clinton clearly was, was trying to extend an olive branch to Bernie Sanders, treating him as an equal, celebrating his role in the Democratic Party and, and, and speaking to, to his supporters. But, you know, I think uh, you, you talk about how the party always comes together in the fall, but I think it's fair to say that Hillary Clinton might have a lot of work to do bringing Bernie Sanders supporters into the poll. I'll just mention the very unscientific internet comments thing, oh. because I, I think there's actually one thing I want to talk about tonight. Uh, every time NPR has done a story in, in recent weeks about the delegate update, anytime we tweet, and, and, and tonight we were doing this, this Facebook thing, thousands and thousands of angry comments from people who support Bernie Sanders, basically not accepting the legitimacy of, of Clinton winning tonight based on the role of superdelegates. And, and the point there is that there's a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters who are just frustrated, and that's natural in a campaign at this point. Well, I would say this. After tonight, Hillary Clinton will not win because of superdelegates. She will have a significant majority of the pledge delegates, which is what the Sanders campaign and Sanders supporters said was the bar that the media had to judge these two candidates on. Then suddenly that bar moved when it became evident after April 26th that Bernie Sanders wasn't going to win a majority of pledge delegates or that it was going to be nearly impossible for him to do so. So given that reality... 
it's really up to Senator Sanders to be able to rally the folks who have passionately gotten behind his candidacy to say that he lost fair and square. If he continues down a road of saying that the system is rigged, that she's part of the rigged system, that she's an oligarch, that she's tied to Wall Street, you could see a significant share of Bernie Sanders supporters going to some third party candidate somebody like Gary Johnson, who's the Libertarian uh, nominee, or someone like Jill Stein, the Green Party nominee, because these are young voters who've never voted before. They don't have the kind of track record that you see in other voters to know uh, you know, pretty much where they'll go or who they'll trust. And that's why Hillary Clinton, first of all, did not deploy you know, a whole raft of negative ads against Bernie Sanders over the course of the primary. And that's also why you saw her really reaching out to him tonight. Asma, what are the next steps for Hillary Clinton over the next few weeks as she kind of pivots to the general election? Well, I think the fact that she's going to be spending time next week in both Ohio and Pennsylvania, to me, kind of speaks to the fact that she's trying to build a safety net and a safety net, I would argue, specifically of sort of suburban white women. And this, to me, is a really interesting takeaway as we pivot towards November, which is that even if the turnout levels of millennials are not as high and she can't really put that Obama coalition back together, she could theoretically sort of chip away at some traditional Republican margins. And that's by doing better with white women. You know, white women are a group that Barack Obama lost by 14 points to Mitt Romney in 2012. If she could just marginally do better with that group, she could theoretically build herself a bit of a safety net. And I you know, spent some time last week in Ohio going to various suburbs around Columbus and Cleveland. And, you know, I, I think sort of There's a mixed bag, you know, of how people both view her and Trump. But I think that she will try to make inroads there. Domenico, you had said last week that that you thought that Hillary Clinton's big speech on foreign policy was was one of the top speech performances of her career, just in terms of stepping up to a big moment, giving the message she wanted to give. Uh, How would you stack up tonight's speech to that and, and, and other kind of key moments in, in, in Hillary Clinton's career in terms of giving speeches. So I, I do think that the speech that she gave in San Diego is probably one of the top three speeches that she's given behind or or right up there with uh, the 18 million cracks in the glass ceiling speeches she gave, by the way, exactly eight years to the day wow. uh, when she gave that speech. Um, and probably, you know, the uh, the speech she gave in China where she talked about human rights and, and women, uh, I think put her on the map as somebody who is serious. Dominica, do you think, though, that she did what she, like, needed to do tonight? And I I guess I'm asking partly because I was so intrigued by the tweets I saw about the historic nature of tonight. And one tweet in particular stuck out to me, and that was from Anna Navarro. You know, she's a known Republican Latina who supported Jeb Bush during the primary. But she's also been sort of an outspoken critic of Donald Trump. And so she tweeted out tonight when Hillary Clinton was speaking, confession. Thought woman thing wouldn't mean much to me, but yes, feel something I can't quite articulate seeing first woman nominee. Hashtag history. Look, it's a big moment. I mean, we shouldn't underplay the kind of moment that this is. I mean, when you have fathers talking to their daughters, you know, and realizing that they can say to them that, you know, you could be president of the United States or, you know, because you have a woman who for the first time will lead a major party ticket in this country less than 100 years after women were given the right to vote. 
um, a generation after a lot of women weren't allowed to, you know, have their own bank accounts or own their own homes and had to go through their husbands or couldn't wear pants to go to work. I mean, I don't think that that's a reality for a lot of younger women that they had to live through or deal with that their mothers did. But it is it is a moment, uh, you know, whether or not Anna Navarro winds up voting for Hillary Clinton or not. It's going to be the kind of thing that as she reaches out as well to Republicans, you notice in that speech, it wasn't just a reach out to Bernie Sanders supporters. It was reaching out to Republicans and saying, you have a home here if you don't want to vote for what she sees as a dangerous uh, potential presidency in Donald Trump. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about Donald Trump. We'd like to say a quick thank you and share a message from one of our sponsors, United Health Group, who asks, how can we really improve health care? Bring back the house call? Open walk-in clinics in convenient places? Help more moms get prenatal care? Or use technology to find insights that lower health care costs? Maybe help doctors spend more time with patients, not paperwork? What if we did all of this and more? Because it's all connected to better care, and better care means better health. United Health Group, built for better health. Learn more at unitedhealthgroup.com. All right, we're back. Let's talk about Donald Trump. He won everywhere tonight. Of course, everybody he was running against dropped out of the race. But Donald Trump did give a speech tonight in a suburban New York. And uh, let's take a listen to what Trump had to say, because interestingly, it was not very Trumpy. You've given me the honor to lead the Republican Party to victory this fall. We're going to do it. We're going to do it, folks. We're going to do it. I understand the responsibility of carrying the mantle, and I will never, ever let you down. Too much work, too many people, blood, sweat, and tears. Never going to let you down. I will make you proud of your party and our movement, and that's what it is, is a movement. It's never going to give you up or let you down. Uh, Domenico, Come on, Scott. You can sing it. Never maybe gonna maybe. give you up. <laughs> never gonna let you down. That's pretty good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, anyway, given the fact that we're all talking about whether or not we got rickrolled there yeah, by uh, Donald Trump uh, in his speech, I'm not sure. Maybe he got rickrolled because he decided to give a speech off a teleprompter, something he said that he would never do. He has done it on the campaign mm-hmm. uh, trail before. It was a little stiff. I mean, it wasn't the kind of speech that you're used to seeing from him, this free-flowing, you know, comfortable in his own skin, defending everything that he's said. That wasn't what he did tonight. Tonight was designed to allay the fears of mainstream Republicans who had come out and said, this is not okay. Going against the, the judge, uh, it, Judge Gonzalo Curiel, who is presiding over the uh, Trump University fraud lawsuit out of San Diego and calling him, uh, saying that he is a hater and that he's uh, biased against him because he's of Mexican descent and because he's building a wall. There were a number of Republicans over the last several days who have come out and said that that needs to change. Notably today, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who said it needs to change and it needs to change today. And you had Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, actually come out and say that his comments were racist, which is not a word you tend to hear. You heard Mitch McConnell sort of say on Meet the Press over the weekend to not say that they were racist, but to say that he disavowed the comments. So the worm has has seemed to turn with Republican leaders on Donald Trump. And that's a big reason for why you saw the kind of speech he gave tonight. 
Right. So for me, what was so interesting about this speech was kind of what was not in it, right? So we didn't hear about the temporary Muslim ban. We didn't hear about the border wall. Um, and noticeably, you know, we didn't hear really anything about Latinos or Mexicans in the speech. You know, I think that Trump has always been able to sort of make a splash in headlines with various speeches that he's given. And tonight I saw that Twitter put out uh, the popularity of Twitter mentions. And Hillary Clinton actually beat out Donald Trump by some, I think it was 40,000 Twitter mentions tonight. And to me, that was sort of indicative of just sort of, you know, the different flavors of their speeches. Well, look, the fact is with this Donald Trump speech, so it's like you're just not sure which guy is going to show up. I mean, after the primary, everyone was talking about he's going to be presidential. He's going to make a pivot. He can be presidential. And he was talking about how I'm I can be presidential. Don't worry. You'll see. You'll see. I'll be very I can be very presidential, he said. And this week was many things. It was not presidential. Well, no. And he he was, you know, winding up with an unforced error, having to fight back his own party. You're just not sure what you're getting exactly and which guy is going to be there. All right. So we've talked about Hillary Clinton. We've talked about Donald Trump. Let's uh, shift gears and talk about Bernie Sanders for a minute and what comes next. I think this is one of those cases where we're taping late on a Tuesday night, early on a Wednesday morning. And when you're listening to this podcast, you're going to know more than we do, because the big question is what sort of tone. Well, there's two big questions. The two big questions are whether Bernie Sanders can win California and what sort of tone he has when he speaks tonight. Is it a conciliatory Bernie Sanders? Is it somebody who's talking big picture about the big themes of his campaign? Or is it a Bernie Sanders who's who's upset about the system, upset about superdelegates and questioning the uh, the legitimacy of Hillary Clinton being declared the Democrat's presumptive nominee? Yeah. And look, uh, 24 hours ago, he was not happy about the fact that the Associated Press had put her over the top, finding 23 additional superdelegates to come out and publicly declare uh, that they were with her and push her over the line. And he said, we're going to go to the convention. Things change in politics. Um, we'd heard him the day before seem to have a, a more somber tone and say that he'd be reassessing his campaign depending on what happened in the voting in these six states that have voted tonight. So let's see what happens with Sanders with his speech. We don't expect that he will drop out. But like we noted, we're taping this podcast before his speech. uh, So anything is possible. But remember, back in 2008, June 3rd is when Barack Obama was declared the presumptive nominee. And Hillary Clinton did not drop out. Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton uh, told her supporters she wanted to know what what they thought. Uh, She was very conciliatory, however, toward Barack Obama. Four days later, Wanting a future in the Democratic Party, she decided to unify with Barack Obama, not, uh, you know, trying to win over every last superdelegate and try to switch them. Uh, That is what Bernie Sanders and his campaign have promised at this point. So there's a couple things we know uh, right now. First of all, we know that Bernie Sanders has scheduled a rally for this Thursday in Washington, D.C., which suggests he might, you know, do a big push to to compete in the primary in Washington next week, which is the very last primary. But Asma, we also just heard from the White House, and there's some interesting information there. Well, tonight, President Obama called both Secretary Clinton and Senator Sanders, and he congratulated them both. Um, But in addition to that call, at Senator Sanders' request, uh, the president and Sanders will meet at the White House on Thursday. And and so that's interesting. I mean, we'll sort of see what materializes from that conversation and, and what comes out of it. You know, we have gotten some glimpses that that uh, President Obama is eager to potentially start hitting the campaign trail. Uh, 
is- he, he could endorse Hillary Clinton as early as this week. The White House has has said as much, said that maybe you could expect an endorsement. Uh, so this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. The President Obama is going to come out with Hillary Clinton at some point. But you, you they have to be very careful in how much pressure they put on Bernie Sanders and allow him to exit gracefully here. Um, so that's got to be a lot of what the conversation is about. Where do we go from here? And perhaps, I mean, it's also, it was to me interesting that the conversation is being held at Senator Sanders' request. So, I mean, maybe there are certain sort of, um, you know, positions or things that he wants to encourage will be accomplished. I mean, because as you said, Domenico, early on, that in many ways, Sanders has already won because he's been able to fulfill and get through so Look, much of his agenda. He's, he's a Paul, all right? He's been in Washington 25 years. He's been a politician for 40 years. He knows how the system works. Uh, and he's friends with a lot of the Democratic senators. He caucuses with them. And the the longer this goes on, where he holds out, you're going to have a lot of the Democratic senators who know him. You've heard from a lot of the senators, especially a lot of the female senators who've said they'd like to see Senator Sanders start to think about when he's going to exit this race. So there will be phone calls and everyone's going to be trying to figure out what Bernie Sanders wants. So Bernie Sanders in D.C. Thursday. You know what else happens Thursday? We tape our weekly politics roundup. Oh, okay. So stay tuned for that. And between now and then, you can find more of our coverage at nprpolitics.org. If you like the show, rate it on iTunes for us. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the campaign. I'm Asma Khalid. I cover demographics in the campaign. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. Thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast throughout this entire primary season. (laughs) 